You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Houndsman XP Podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsmen of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsmen. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. My name is Bryce Matthews, and this is the Deep and Lonely Podcast presented to you by Houndsman XP. During this podcast, we will dive deep into what makes the ultimate, top-level, and unmatched extreme competition coon hunter. We will hear stories of old, tales of today, and we will dive deep into what separates the men from the boys. The stories will be raw, the truth will be told, and the camaraderie will be second to none. Pull up your chaps. It's about to get deep. All right, guys. Welcome to the Deep and Lonely Podcast presented by Houndsman XP. Today I am in north central Indiana. Uh, Drove up here to have a conversation with one of the uh, legends in our sport, I think you could call him. Uh, A guy who's really paved the way for the tree and walker breed uh, over the years. Uh, A guy who's still very competitive to this day. Uh, loves to be competitive, and he loves to pleasure hunt. Uh, th- today we're speaking with Dick Brothers from Peru, Indiana. How you doing, Dick? Uh, very good, uh, Bryce. Hey, uh, so I wanted to get you on here, Dick, because you and I have been uh, hunting a lot the last few weeks. We've, you know, we found out we found ourselves living in a uh, the same area, a good place to hunt together. Um, and over the last few weeks, I'd say that you know you and I have really really become good friends and. Uh, I've really enjoyed my time with you and our company in the woods. Um, it's nice to have somebody to go out and hunt with, uh, somebody who loves the sport as much as I do. So first off, I just want to say, you know, thank you for that, and I appreciate you for joining me today. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners here just a little bit about about Dick Brothers? Um, where did you get started? How did you get into the coon hunting? And uh, you know, just anything else that you think would be interesting for that paved your way in the foundation for for you and your love of the sport. Well, how I got into coon hunting. Uh... A year ago, I hunted with a pair of black dogs, and uh, that was my first first experience. And uh, uh, they were a, a, a pair of dogs uh, together. They made one good dog. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to work together. You weren't turning them loose separately. You turned them loose no. together. Well, and... I hunted with Dick Smith one whole season. I didn't have a dog at that time. And uh, that's what we got acquainted. He was a good friend of mine years ago. So, were, were you? How old were you when you started coon hunting? 
uh, in in my twenties, early twenties. So that's about the same path as me. You know, I got started when I was twenty years old. Right. Um, a lot of these guys, it's really cool to hear how they started when they were little kids. Uh, but for me, I feel like I got a little bit later start. But it makes me appreciate it more. Right. Um, a little bit. So uh, you got started in your twenties. You've been doing this a long time, Dick. Um, you've developed your own line of tree and walkers. Um, you hunt your own stuff. You've accomplished one of the greatest hunts. Uh, to win it, as far as prestige goes. Um, and we're going to get into all that. Um, when when did you first start competition hunting? How long did it take you from the time you started coon hunting until you entered your first hunt? Do you know how that was? Uh, I entered my first hunt. Uh, I hunted a dog uh, at my colder honed, and I hunted in the Ohio State Championship my second year coon hunting. And one second place registered in the highest state championship that year. Well, that's not bad for a beginner. No. Was that beginner's luck, or were you it, packing a good Well, one? he said, uh, he said, uh, just call her how you, how you hear her. And I did that. And uh, uh, if I would have been a more experienced handler, and uh, I wouldn't have made one mistake. I would have won first place, but you know, uh, I didn't know anything about playing defense. That's a big part of the competition these yes, days. Yes, sir. And uh, that's that was my first first experience competition hunting. Man, that's great. Um, were you were you bit by the bug whenever you first started competition hunting? After that night, did you know that that was what you wanted to do? Oh yeah, yes, sir. Absolutely. You know, I feel the same way. I went with a buddy for the first time hunted and <clears throat> just just had a great time and then i got into a comp i went with another buddy and went competition hunting with him just followed along in the cast with him um and watching him handle that dog and watching how that cast played out it it the bug bit me um you know i was like that's what i want to do i want to be a top level competition coon hunter and i think you've earned that well i i've always been competitive at everything i've done i played sports football and track and uh, in high school and and uh, grade school all the way through my years and uh, I've been very competitive anyway so I just I just picked up with coon downs yeah and I used to field trial lab labs mm -hmm. and I trained bird dog too right so you've always had an a uh, working dog at your house. You've always been involved yes, sir. with dogs in one way or another. Yes, sir. Do you, so you started off with a pair of black and tans. When did you switch or convert to the tree and walker breed? Well, I didn't own a dog at that time. I just went with Dick Smith. Okay. And uh, when and then I met a guy by the name of Tom Wise and Mike Colder. And they in, introduced me to train walkers, and uh, time uh, and I became friends, and uh, we partnership up on one dog, and that was my first experience, so to speak. That that dog that you had is that by chance one of the dogs that laid the foundation for the line that you've been hunting for years, or no. did it take a while for you to? No, but that dog helped me see what a good tree dog was. He was a third or fourth strike dog and a first tree dog and a pressure tree dog back then. He was out of Miller's Rock. And, uh, and Miller, Laverne Miller was a real, real well-known guy, you know. So that, that dog, um, you know, it obviously had a major influence on you. How long were you in the game um, before you started experimenting with breeding and wanted to have something of your own? Well, I obtained three Walker females. And Well, let me back out. I obtained a Walker female from Dick Smith, and she's a real good dog. She's never been in a hunt before. I granted her out one year. And she won a Hoosier State Championship, and uh, and she died really young. She's about six years old when she died of cancer. So 
I knew she was a good dog, and uh, then I thought I wanted to get Walker females and uh, be a breeder, so to speak, you know. Yeah. Trial and error, right. you know. And uh, I learned a lot of things uh, reading the books and uh, talking to other breeders. And so I started out three Walker females. One was Charlie Creek Jill, one to Charlie Creek Patches, and Charlie Creek Beauty. Where does the Charlie Creek name come from? Well, when I was a kid, I lived in Wabash, and uh, Charlie Creek went run through Wabash, and I trapped that creek years ago. And I walked from home and run my trap line every morning and every night. Uh, before school and after school. So you were doing that in grade school, and yeah, you, know, I, you were just doing that to have a little pocket change, or yeah, yeah, sir. Back in the day, the furs were worth something. Oh yeah. Um, and you, so you ran a pretty extensive trap line. You know, you told me that the other night when you and I were hunting that that was something that you enjoyed doing. Um, <clears throat> do you still do any trapping, or are you no, strictly into the no, hunting now? No, not none at all, none at all. And uh, when when I started coon hunting. Uh, I, I didn't trap any coons anymore. No more? No, no more. Just let the dogs do it? Yes, sir. Did yes, you, sir. If, if you were to catch one by chance, did you mess with them and turn them loose? Yeah, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I say that, Dick, because, you know, it's funny. As we're recording this podcast, last night, Dick and I, we went out and trying to um, fool with a little pup of mine, and we had a coon in a trap, and that thing would not come out. And Dick reached down there and grabbed it by the tail and pulled it out of the trap. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I've been known to do a lot of crazy stuff in oh, my gosh, time. Oh, gosh, Dick. I mean, it made my night. I, I wasn't prepared for it. I wasn't expecting it. So yeah. I didn't know if that was something you did back on the trap line. Yeah, well, I did too, do that too, you know. So you had you had your females. Yeah, I, I made uh, Jill a night champion. And... Uh, I couldn't ever get a first-place win on Patches. She's a good dog, but she was independent. She would go opposite direction. Sometimes she would be out of hearing. And uh, Breedy Dog, I made a Grand Night Champion. I placed her in top 20 of the world hunt twice. And uh, I won several big hunts with her, big hunts. a uh, lot of breed days, uh, black and tan days, English days, and uh, blue tick days, and she's a real deal. Back back then when you were hunting her, was UKC the only registry around that you were hunting? Or well, were other kennel registries? Just PKC had just started. Okay. It was PCA back in. Right. And, you know, I didn't feel I had the money to go to two registries. Right. Really? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So you supported so, UKC the most. Yeah, most. Now, you said you got top 20 in the world twice. Yeah. That's an accomplishment that a lot of people won't get done in, once. In the top 20. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where I place, you know, but... But, you know, a lot of people go to the world hunt or every year. They try to qualify for it. And to say that you made it into the top 20 is, is a feat in itself. Yes, sir. And, and you did that twice. Right. With the same dog. Right. Beauty. You, did you ever make another run at the world hunt with any other dog um, before you you ultimately won the UKC World Championship? Yeah, I, you know I was I was trying to win a world hunt, but you know uh, I won tenth uh, place in HHA World Hunt with uh, Charlie Creek Mac, and uh, I just kept co- going and trying to win it. Right. You know? That was that was that the burning uh, passion was that your your ultimate goal that kept you motivated and kept you driven you wanted to win that yes world sir hunt. yes sir and, and then when I won that with Charlie Creek Terra I said to myself why I do now I just won the biggest biggest hunt in the world you know and why, that, that was in 1994 with the UK 1994 with Charlie Creek Terra yes sir so did. After you won that hunt, you had that feeling of what do you do now? Did you take some time off, or did you just go back to what no, you had? No, I just went back. You know, I I made a 
taking a month or two off, but you know, yeah. I just, I just want to win it another time. And, and I, you know, just talking to you, Dick, and, and hunting with the last few weeks, I feel like that passion is still there. I feel like you still want to win it just as bad now as you did back then. Oh yeah, definitely. So after after you won the world hunt with Tara, did you continue to push her and hunt, or did you uh, lay her up and try and breed her? Well, I I made a mistake. I laid her up, you know, at 28 months old when she won a world hunt. And, you know, back then, uh, uh, like we talked about the other night, uh, Tennessee Lead was a world champion. He got killed by a hot wire. So back then, they, they didn't hunt very many world champions because we didn't have, we didn't, it wasn't like it is today. We didn't have semen on being collected. Right. No. And uh, but I wish I I I regret not hunting anymore. I could have won so much more with her. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, looking into the sport now, you you see some dogs that they win big, and and that's the last hunt you see them in. And then you see other dogs, uh, like recently this year's PKC World Champion Stogie. They won. They won the world with him, and then the very next week, he was in another local hunt. Right. You know. Um, right. And they're still pushing that dog in, in local hunts because they want to support the clubs. Um, it's interesting to see how people's perspective is on that, and you know the thinking, the thought process behind that. Um, did you after that world? Did you immediately breed her, or what? What did you do there? <clears throat> yeah, I started breeding her, and. Uh... She raised several good pups, you know. Uh, I would pleasure hunter once in a while, but uh, she stayed stayed in the house basically. She was house dog. When you when you bred her, um, the pups that she threw were were you seeing characteristics um, of her, or what? What was your thoughts on that, and and how did that play out and help you and the dogs that you have today? characteristics uh, on her dad Charlie Creek Mac I seen a lot of them and uh, uh, he he was throwing independent dogs back then when you didn't hear about independent dogs you know uh, they would be split tree by herself you know and Tara would be too she was very independent she just buy she buy a loner by herself, you know. Right. So, you won the world in 1994, and you lived here still in Wabash, right? Right. When did you make the move to Iowa? Because you know, I, start just to paint the picture here for our listeners. We're sit we're sitting in Dick's little office here, and there are four monster whitetail bucks hanging on the wall. And I believe you told me, you know, whenever you decided to move to Iowa. It was for better deer hunting. Right. As a coon hunter, walk me through that. How did you move from Indiana to Iowa to pursue deer hunting? Which, you know, a lot of times coon hunting and deer hunting don't go hand in hand. Well, you know, I loved coon hunting too. And uh, I love deer hunting. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to trophy hunt anymore. I'm going to give it up. And, uh, but, uh, I, I was going out to Nebraska, eastern Nebraska, western Iowa for years, and my wife said, you're gone so much, why why don't we move out there? So we moved out there to Iowa, uh, western Iowa, along the Missouri River and the Lost Hills. Uh, giant deer out there. You know, yeah. Your, your I, walls tell the story. <laughs> I always wanted to kill a 200-inch buck. You know, I fell short on that. I killed one in 197 with my bow. And that's the one hanging above you right here. Yes, sir. Uh, it's it's just a beautiful deer. Uh, it's got one crazy one crazy tine coming off his brow. Uh, very symmetrical. He's, he's a nice looking deer. Uh, what what's this one over here with the double drop tine score? Do you remember that? Uh, 173. That is that is a very neat looking deer. Well, uh, there again, that's the first deer I ever killed in Iowa, and I I wasn't a kill a drop tine deer in my life, you know, and uh, I never seen a drop deer 
drop tine deer in Indiana. Right. When I moved out there, I killed a double drop tine deer. <laughs> you know? <laughs> what but, are the odds? Yeah. Yeah. Guys, it's, it's it's so neat sitting here at Dick. We're looking at these these monster whitetails. We've got the, the big trophy here from 1994, UKC world champion on it. Um, several other big trophies that just really tell the story of Dick and his accomplishments and the competition coon hunting. Along with a couple uh, albino coons here, were those are those Indiana coons that your dogs treat yes, those? Yes, sir. Uh, I've treated seven albino coons in Indiana. Have you treated any of the other color phases, black or cinnamon? Yeah, I, I've uh, treated a lot of black ones and cinnamon phase. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, <clears throat> you know, getting back here to, to your line of dogs, have you ever hunted anybody else's dogs since you established the Charlie Creek line of dogs, or is that something you've hunted since since that time well no uh ever since i established charlie creek dogs i i haven't per se hunted one dog for any one boy boy uh guy uh consistently uh i would handle a dog every once in a while for a guy right. in a hunt yeah if he needed me to but you were you weren't a, a paid handler for anybody else running no. their dogs you're always trying to push your own line. Well, uh, you know, I just try to help people out. I don't want to be paid for it. Right. You know? No, I understand. That's my way of thinking, yeah. you know? Maybe I'm too nice at times, you know, but that's the way I am. Uh, so the sport of coon hunting. You told us earlier that, you know, you started out running the trap lines as a kid. Um, and obviously coon pelts are worth some money. Oh yeah. Now we've got hunts with, you know, $2,500 entry fees, $6,500 entry fees. They're hunting for a hundred thousand dollars to win. They're hunting for new trucks every month. And most recently they just announced the first $1 million coon hunt. What, do, what do you think, what are your thoughts on that as, with the sport growing? Is that, is that good for the sport? Is that something that has going to make a positive impact and a lasting impact on the sport of coon hunting well it will uh it it's good for the sport but also uh not everybody can afford those high price hunts right you know but uh that's good for the sport i think really and that that makes people aware uh, what a coon hunter can do with his dog. Yeah, that's really that's something you that know? a lot of people don't. They just don't know. They 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 don't grab it, grab right. it at all. Yeah, and you, you know, know that's something that that Houndsman XP is really trying to do is, um, you know, preserve, promote, and protect the sport of the houndsman. And and the second word of that promote, I think, is a big deal. Um, it, it needs to be promoted in a positive light. And for others who don't understand what coon hunting is and the amount of time that us coon hunters put into our dogs and the amount of care we give those dogs um you know it's something that we need to portray in a positive light and i agree i think these big hunts um you know they're not for me but they're for somebody right. and there's a lot of money brought into the towns where these are being held um there's a lot of revenue coming oh, through. oh yes sir um yes and, sir and, and it's positive recognition if we can portray it in the right light right um so I was just curious on what you thought, because I think you've seen, you've been around it long enough, obviously much longer than I have. I haven't seen that transition, um, but to get the perspective from somebody who, who's seen it from the conception of the PCA, to which is now the PKC, and you know, it's one of the most, one of the most prestigious registries around. Right. Um, I think it's just an interesting. Right. Hey, you know, uh, <clears throat> I I think that's good for the sport, really. You know, right? Really, and uh, like I said, <laughs> so <clears throat> let's let's dive into something a little deeper here. Let's let's talk about the stroke that you had. When when did you have your stroke? Uh, three and a half years ago. Uh, stroke was caused by surgery, and. Uh, I had a stroke in the hospital. Uh, they they uh, they give me an anti uh, rejection shot, 
on the stroke, but I was paralyzed on my whole right side. And they said I wouldn't walk and uh, for and speak correctly for six months to a year. How long was it before you got out of the hospital? Well, I'm a pusher, you know, and uh, uh, good lo- good Lord looked over me too, right. and uh, I made it out of rehab, speech therapy, and physical therapy four and a half months. Four and a half months. So you beat it. You beat that timeline by yes, a month sir. and a half. Yes, sir. What What was your motivation? Uh, I wanted to get back to in the woods. I wanted to fish. I wanted to hunt again. I just wanted to. I I wouldn't take no for an answer. Right. You know, you got to have motivation. Uh, I I know other stroke patients. They just give up, and you know, uh, you have. They told me you have up to a year. Get f- full motivation back. A year is a limit. So I push and push and push. Yeah. I drove Kathy nuts. Uh, I would make her take me on uh, walk on paved streets every day, three times a day, you know, and uh, uh, I, I just fought. Yeah, you say, you say the ha- you had that three and a half years ago. And you're 72 now. Yes, sir. So it's 68 and a half, 69 is when you had your stroke. And you were that determined because there's still more you want to do. Right. You're not done yet. No. I don't see you even slowing down. No. You know, you and I have been hunting a lot lately and and you get through the woods just as good as I do at 28. Well, maybe. (laughs) You do, Dick. And and that's that's credit to you. Uh, You know, it's, it's easy to see your passion for the sport. When when timer comes treed, you're going, and you're right. you're going to be there, um, and you hunt just as hard as anybody that I've I've met. Uh, you know we haven't been hunting together very long, but I can I can see that uh, most of the time it's me saying, "All right, Dick, it's time to go. I got, <laughs> I got to work in the morning. You'll drop me off, and and you'll keep hunting. You know, right. till the wee hours of the morning. Is that something that you've always done? Is that all you know? Is to hunt hard? Yes, yes, sir. Really, you know, that's all I've done, ever done. Hunt hard and hard, you know. That's the only way I know how to hunt. And it, I, I presume, you know, looking around, that's how you, you deer hunt as well. Right. You, when you got into something, you got into it serious, you gave it 100%. all you had. 100%. You gave it all you had. Yes, sir. So do you think that having this stroke and having come back you think you're just as motivated now as you were back in 1994 to win that world championship? Yes, sir. Really, really. And, the- and you know, some some guys I talked to said you don't have anything to prove, Dick. But uh, I don't want to give up yet. Just not ready. No, no, I'm not. If that helped motiv- motivate some people, uh, maybe that's what I'm here for. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it is, it's inspiring because there's some nights that I don't want to go. And why, why do I want to go tonight? I went, I went the last three nights, but there is a goal, you know, and I'm a competition coon hunter as well. I'm, I'm very competitive. It's to win. It's to win that world. Um, so I, I understand where you're coming from, uh, on that one. Your, your wife, Kathy, going through that, um, Wow, what a what a woman she has to be. <laughs> you know, she helped you with that stroke and and you hunt you hunt hard. You get home at four or five in the morning most nights. She's still here. It takes a special woman to to love a coon hunter. Yeah, it does. You know, his when when you guys got married, were you were you hunting this hard back then? Yes. Yes, sir. And and she just accepted that. Yeah. Uh she She'd been a good wife and a good partner. Yeah. You know? This, was she was she there cheering you on uh, whenever you got back in the woods after your stroke? Was she just as excited to see you in there? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, she knew what 
what I wanted to do, you know, and uh, she was all for it. She wasn't at first, you know, right. and uh, because uh, I drove a truck before I was supposed to. Right. Oh, <laughs> She'd give me it. hell. <laughs> I can believe it. I can believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it, it's just incredible. Um, you know, I, I think the same thing about my girlfriend. She's very supportive in what I do. And, and to see, you know, when I walked in tonight, Kathy, very, very cordial, you know, introduced herself. Right. It just seems like a great lady. And, yeah. you know, to stand there with you through it all and help you get back to something that you wanted to do, it really says a lot, you know, about her. Right. Um, she She's a good person. Right. Really, and Bobby Overby, and uh, he came out, and uh, when I had a stroke, and uh, helped me go coon hunting, and mowed my grass and trimmed my trees, uh, took me to see the doctor on rehab, and for a week, and uh, uh, he took me hunted first night. I couldn't hardly walk. But I I made it up a hill and got to the tree and everything, you know, with with me helping him. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, we've been good friends ever since. And uh, he took Timer and Big Earl back there hunting dogs for six months before I could get down and get them back. And that's when you were still in Iowa. Yes, sir. And he lives on the East Coast. He drove 22 hours one way. That says a lot. Yes, sir. No, that says not not just a lot about Bobby being the type of friend that he is, but it says a lot about you, Dick, that, that you you have, I, I don't know any other word other than, I'd say you've touched Bobby. You know, if I wasn't close to somebody like that, I wouldn't drive 20 hours. You you meant a lot to, to him. Right. Um, and and he, a friend. He, he means a lot to me, too. He just like a brother, and I know the story. But tell tell our listeners how you met Bobby, because you know I'm think I'm hearing this, and um, if I didn't know the backstory, I'm thinking that this is somebody that you've known your whole life and that you're super close with. Um, but really, you know, you and Bobby haven't known each other that long. No, uh, eight years. Uh, Bobby called me year eight years ago, and he said. Uh, I have a good walker female, and uh, she won a Virginia State twice and uh, placed in the top four two other times, and uh, and he was wanting semen off Big Mike. I had frozen semen. So I said, uh, if you have that caliber of female, I, w- I would just give you semen. Uh, for a pup or something, and uh, we went on them from there, and uh, we we had a litter of pups out of her, and Bobby said, you want to par- partner up on a pup? I said, sure, we, we can do that, and we partnered up on Charlie Creek Big Mac, and uh, and uh, he, uh, he, won a couple hunts with Mac, and I brought him up to Indiana. I granted him out. And we've been, we became partners ever since, and just like I said, we like brothers. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I know you talk. He, he called me every day, every day of the week, every day. Yeah. You know, it's good. It's good to have a partner like that. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I wish he lived closer. Yeah, I guarantee it. Because you still go down there and hunt with him. And yes, he comes sir. Up here and... Every February, I make a trip down there for a week or two. If if there were no competitions, would you have coon hunted this long? I I think so, because I like seeing a dog work. But comp- competition hunters sets me, so to speak, on fire. You know? I like... I like a competition, you know. Uh, I like training dogs too, you know. Uh, I've trained about every dog I've owned, you know. Uh, I'm proud of that record, you know. You you take pride in, in breeding the dogs, training the dogs, and winning with those dogs. Right. 
let's let's talk about some of the dogs that you've had. Let's go through the lineage. Um, you know, I think these dogs deserve some credit, and and we're gonna give credit where credit is due. So, obviously, Tara won the world hunt. Yeah, sure. So she's won the biggest of all of them. Right. But let's let's talk about some of your other dogs that you've had. Let's well, go back through. I uh, I won Worker Walker Days in 1997 with uh, she was on by my buddy and me uh, Lee McFan and we, we we walker days with in 1997 and uh, we we placed her fifth on the printing circuit, circuit that year and uh, she won a lot of major hunts and we had to pull her out of the premier circuit because she had heartworms and treat her. So then uh, I had a, <clears throat> uh, that was another good dog. And uh, then uh, I had Charlie Creek Clay, which was out of World Champion Terror and Hardwood Buster too. He was a very nice dog. He reproduced too. And uh, he produced Charlie Creek Edge. And, uh, and uh, Edge produced uh, Charlie Creek Big Mike. And uh, then uh, Sarah produced uh, Charlie Creek Loctite Tees. And that was Mother uh, Big Mike. And uh, then Clay produced Charlie Creek Stone. He was Grand Knight Champion, uh, PKC Gold Champion back then in $30 hunts, $50 hunts. And and to reach Gold Champion, that's $10,000. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I, that was a lot back then. Right. Really. And uh, then uh, I, I've been blessed, you know, and uh, but I'm also particular on dogs you know uh, and uh, I'm hunting Charlie Creek big timer out now I own him with Bobby Overy and I'm hunting a f fire Charlie Creek wildfire she was uh, by Charlie Creek clay semen and ba big timers mother uh, Taylor run storm so let's talk about the style, the style of dogs that they are. Um, you know, I've been hunting, hunting with you lately, and Timer is—he's uh, a different style of dog than what I'm used to hunting lately. Timer starts hunting from the time you turn him loose. He hunts right there where you turn him loose. He's not blowing through the world a mile, mile and a half before he starts hunting. He's—he's um, he's treeing those coons that are laying up. Is that a characteristic that has been? bred in your line of dogs um, since the beginning? Yeah, or? It, somewhat, but he will, well, if coons aren't down, he will go hunting. Oh, he, he absolutely will. Definitely, yeah. He will be half a mile deep in the country somewhere, you know. But he could trail the old bad tracks and lay of coons. But I, I like a dog, the style. I like a track dog. I don't like a trailing dog. Right. You know. Okay. That's a big difference. And sometimes a coon needs treed, not trailed. You know. <laughs> that's a that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I, really. I, I've never heard anybody say that. Re really. You know. Uh, uh, other times I've hunted with some guys in the past. Say, that dog don't open. Well, he's open trailer. But it just fall treed. That's one thing in the stock of dogs that's really good because they they can tree a coon close, they can tree another coon close, right away. And when other dogs in running through the country looking for a hot coon. Yeah, and, and I think we saw that the other night. You know, you and I were out hunting, and and we kind of got caught in a, a pop up snowstorm, and and it was just. It was miserable. We got the the uh, uh, what what's that old analogy? Just one more drop. Yeah. Got the best of us. Uh, but timer he trailed up a pair of coon sitting in a tree, 
in terrible sinning conditions. Yeah. It just snow on the ground, too. Yeah. I mean, the wind was blowing, ground was frozen, snow was coming down hard, and he worked up that track, and he had, you know, he had the coon at the end of that. Right. Um, where I feel like a lot of the dogs that I've hunted with lately, they, they weren't going to grub that up. Right. Um, they were going to go try and find a hot one, and, and there probably wasn't too many hot ones to treat. That no, that, not, that time of night, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, and coons are already laid up. Right. Really. Yeah. So the, if we talk about that, let's talk about the style of dogs of yesteryear and today. When you when you first got into competition hunting versus today, what are you seeing? What are the... Well, what I've seen years ago, you had to be a very good caller and, and handler because, because that was a calling contest back then. You know, dogs were... were a split treed very much. They were usually pack, you know. But there again, you know, that's why I kept his strain of dogs. They were naturally independent back way back then, you know. But that's why I've seen in uh, competition hunts today. And, you know, these dogs are trained different too. Uh, some dogs you have to break down to make them good. And, you know, some dogs, they can be ruined, too. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So you think that the the training styles have changed, um, and with that, the dogs have changed with them? Uh, or do you think that the, do- the training has changed to fit the dogs? I think the training has somewhat changed uh, to fit the dog's needs. Uh, you know, shock and collars are used, and uh, tone button is used, and uh, they are hunted different. But you no, know, I always hunt a dog by itself a lot. So when I would go to the night hunt, I would have a naturally independent dog. You know, by hunting them alone. Do you think that? the current situation with the the ever ever changing way that hunters in general are perceived and the way that hunting ground is becoming harder to come by do you think that we're going to have to slow these dogs down that are blown through the world or do you think it's something that's just going to continue to down the same path that it's in well why they are blowing through the world that's man made yeah, and uh, I I think that will get you in trouble sometime, you know, hunting too far. And, you know, I, I know a guy that I've drawn three times, and two out of the three times, his dog blowed out of here. Mm-hmm. Why have a dog that like that, really, you know? Because my way of thinking, you're going to lose more than you win. Right. You know, if you can't hear a dog, you can't take a call. Yeah, deep, deep and lonely. You know, that's that's the name of this podcast. But that's yeah. right now. That's the name of the game. Right. Um, right. If you ask, I I would say eight out of ten people, what type of dog do you prefer? Deep and lonely. Well, uh, not so far deep, but I like a dog. If I strike a track out of the truck, I want them on the first game. Right. Absolutely. But when we recast, I want them scattered like quail. Really. Right. Um, But, you know, there again, you know, uh, if you have 90-minute hunt or two-hour hunt, a dog, it gets deep and lonely, a mile deep, you can treat two or three coon behind that dog. What what type of hunt do you prefer? Do you prefer the hour, 90-minute, or 120-minute cast? I don't like an hour hunt. I like a 90-minute or two-hour hunt. Because if you have an accurate dog, uh, the other dogs will make a mistake in a two-hour hunt or 90-minute hunt. So you're... 
your thought process is you're counting on other dogs to make a mistake and your dogs to stay where they need to be, stay in their lane and do what they they do their yes, job. Yes, sure. Yes, sure. And you're confident in that whenever yes, you sir. take a dog to a hunt. Very confident. You know, I, I drew you. Uh, it's kind of funny. I drew you over to hunt the other <laughs> night. I said, I told Nikki when we went to the hunt, I said, man, there's one person I don't want to draw. I said, that's Dick Brothers. I said, we've been hunting together a lot lately. And I just assume not draw him, you know. <laughs> and what do we do? We go out and draw each other. And we both lost the cast. Uh, right. We, you know, neither one of us come out with the win. But you made a comment at the end of it. Uh, and you had a little passion in your voice when you said it. You said, this is the third cast in a row I've lost, and that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. The Houndsman XP Podcast Network is powered by Cajun Lights. All of your lighting needs for hunting can be taken care of at Cajun Lights. They have three models of cap lights. I'm going to run through them real quick. You've got the Rogaroo, which is their high-end light. If you're a competition hunter and you got to find that coon up in a tree and it's all riding on finding that coon, you'll want the Rogaroo on your head. Next is the Bayou. That's a pretty standard light, but it's got packed with features. It's got multiple colors. It's got walking lights. It's got the red, the green, the amber. It's all built in right into that light. And then you have one of my personal favorites, the Micro Gator. The Micro Gator is an ultra lightweight cap light. It's got all the features of a white light, red, green, and amber. I've used this light for everything from finding bear tracks early in the morning to coon hunting at night to working on plumbing in the house changing tires on the side of the road my truck doesn't leave the driveway without a cajun light in it and that light is the micro gator every cajun light is durable made from the highest quality components and it is backed by cajun's top rated customer service check out cajun lights you can go to our website at houndsmanxp.com go to our sponsors page hit that link it'll take you right to cajun lights check them out they got a lot of stuff to offer over at Cajun Lights. You're winning one or two out of every three casts. That's a pretty good percentage. Right. Well, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of good dogs out there anymore, you know. And every dog will split tree, you know. And just having breaks, you know. Got to have the breaks. Just like the other night, you know. Uh, we didn't have that dog, other dog for a long, long time. He was deep. He was about too deep, in my opinion, you know. But uh, we, we treat on dens, and he had a coon. And a coon wins every time. In an hour hunt, that's hard to beat. It is. You know? Yeah. But I had a chance to win that cast. He's had a, he's, she had a 100 strike, a 100 tree. And if he had a coon, she wins, you know. But yep. she didn't, you know. Yep, she had a den tree. Yeah. Um, yes, sir. You know, we tried everything we could to get that coon to come out of there. Yeah. It, it just wasn't happening. No. Um, other than the guys that got you started, have you had anybody that you would consider a mentor along the way? Has there been anybody that, that you've looked up to and taken advice from? Or has it kind of just been trial and error and, and learn learn as you go? Well, uh, advice some, from some people and... Uh, I listen. I listen in conversations, and I learned a lot through conversations, mm -hmm. talking to other people. And uh, but I trial and error is a biggest thing, really. You know, well, I I never have been afraid to ask for help or advice either. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I've, I'm I'm the same way. You know, I've got a few guys that I'll go to whenever I have a question. Um, you know, and, and lately it's been you uh, trying to work on this pup, and and I'm very appreciative for that because, you know, if you can take that advice and that knowledge that somebody who's been there done that and use it, you know, take what you want from it, but but use that. I feel like you can really progress you a lot further, and I think you know that that's something that could help a lot of other people as well. Right. Um, you know listen to those who've been there before and who've, who've done it. Right. Um, you know, they, right. they didn't get good for no reason. Right. Um, I, I'm still learning at 72. I never, you never quit learning, really. Never quit learning. No. That's it. Every no. day, learn something new. Yes, sir. I tried it. I tried to. Right. 
So let's let's talk about some uh, upcoming upcoming events that you've got. You've got two dogs here at your house that you're pushing right now. You got the old big timer and you got fire. Both of those dogs qualified for the tournament of champions this year, right? Right. And you've so that takes five wins apiece. Did right. you put all ten wins on those dogs last year? Yeah, sure. You didn't have any help from anybody else. No. And that that that's how much you're still going to these hunts, and that's just in UKC. Yeah. Um, you've got you've got fire qualified for the spring super stakes uh, coming up here, mm-hmm. and so we're going to see you in action at the tournament champions as well as the spring super stakes. Yeah, and and, and at Walker Days too. And at Walker Days, three big hunts in a row. And you're gonna you're gonna be there. Yes, sir. Competing. Yeah. You're, you're gonna you're gonna be not you're not just gonna be there you're gonna be competing because you right. you've got dogs that are gonna be there and hopefully uh, you know make a run make a run at it again yeah um, well like uh, uh, two out of three two out of the three last years I had timer in the super stakes he's a quarterfinals two years out of three yeah and they're only you know they're only eligible for three. Yeah, three years, right. unless you count baby stakes, and they can come in for yeah. four. But two out of three, I mean, that's that's a hard to do. And he he's he was sick dog having a had Erlichia too, you know. Uh, I've been I I've done quite a bit with him, really. Yeah, and you know, and it shows. Um, when you go to these hunts now or back in the day, is there a dog that you dread to see pull into that hunt? Is there one dog back in the day or today that you're like, dang, so and so's here. They're gonna be tough to beat. Not at all. I I'm not intimidated by a dog. You know, I have some by some people after me, who who did you draw, Dick? I said, just dog. <laughs> you know, really. Uh I've been at this a long time, you know. When I was younger, I would get nervous, but when I made this first tree, I was over that. Right. But I don't get nervous anymore, you know. And uh, uh, my my heart may thump a little or more often. Right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I I still love it. But I I'm not intimidated by anyone. You're there to compete, and you're there to win. Yes, sir. And if you don't have a dog capable, you're not going to be there. No. It's it's a good way to put it. Yeah. You know. You know, it, it takes a lot of time to train a dog. Really, you know. And and time marches on. You oh know? yeah. It it's something that you know you've been doing this for a long time. You've done it for a long time. Are you are you seeing better results now? Maybe than what you did back in the day, if if that makes sense. Um, well, I've had this stock of dogs for thirty five years, and I, what I've stuck with is line of dogs because they reproduce. They were natural, independent. I, I like to make my job easy. I don't want to, I don't want to work at training a dog. That's a lot. What's what I like about naturals. When you're looking for, when you're looking for the next female to breed, what are you looking for? Are you trying to get one trait out of each cross to improve one thing, or are you looking for multiple, most bang for your buck? Well, sometimes I will uh, go with one trait I I like. You know, maybe a harder tree dog, a better strike dog, you know, a better track dog. I look at a whole package, but if I see one thing I can use on my soccer dogs, I go with it. And you, you've got a little pup here at the house as well. Um, you haven't started her yet, but what when you made that cross, what were you looking for? Well, I, I didn't make a cross. Okay, okay. You know, but uh, uh, Luke Stark made that cross. Okay. And... Uh, uh, that pup is out of uh, Big Mike, uh, Mike Jr., and he was out of Big Mike. Okay. And uh, the female side went back to my world champion, Terror, and 
world champion terror sired sired H A H or world champion Miller's Roxanne, and uh, that that that's what that pup is out of that cross right there. Did you win the ACHA? No. With Roxanne. But. but uh, Terry Colder and Ron Wiggerman did okay. with Roxy. Gotcha. Uh, so, Terry produced a world champion herself. Gotcha. So, a world champion produced a world champion. Yes, sir. That's that's pretty pretty yeah. incredible. Yes, sir. Um, that's that's it's very neat. Um, you you've done well over the years, Dick. So I I would think that would, I think that would pup would cross well with my stalker dogs. You know. Do you have any plans to uh, to breed Timer next? Is he is he the next stud dog in line for your line, or do you think you'll go back to some stored semen that you've well, got? Well, uh, matter of fact, we just bred a female, Honey Creek Spider female, and I was told today that she's bred. Oh, good. So he's going to be a, a papa pretty pretty soon. Is that his first litter? Yes, sir. What? First litter. What do you what are you predicting? Timer will throw. Do you, can you predict it at this point, or is every litter, uh, you know, just a guess? Well, I, I've seen my stock of dogs. It's gonna produce on Honey Creek Harry bitches and Honey Creek Spider bitches. So, I'm looking. Timer will produce tree dogs, big big mouths, and track dogs too. Uh, I predict that right away, and uh, I have another Grand Knight Champion bitch booked to him anytime. Uh, she's a really good bitch, and uh, we expect uh, big things out of that, that cross too. Right. So at at seventy two, you're getting ready to enter three major hunts. Um, I assume you're going to try and get qualified for the world this year. Yeah. This weekend. This weekend you're going to go to a qualifier. Yeah. How long do you see yourself competing? What What does the future hold for Dick Brothers? Well, I don't know. Um, it's all, as long as I can hear and I can walk, I'm going to compete. It's something that, that is just ingrained in you now. Right. You know, I don't. I just didn't know, you know, I, I hope that I'm still competing at the level that you are whenever I get there. Um, it's impressive. Uh, it's it's impressive, Dick. Yeah, thank you. So, so, like I said, I just I didn't know what the future held for Dick. I didn't know well, if that was something that you would be able to hang up when the time comes. As long as I, as long as I can produce a winner, I'm going to campaign. You know, right? And uh, I met a lot of guys. No, a lot of nice guys through this sport, you know. The and, fellowship is unreal in, in the oh sport yeah. of coon hunting. And, you know, coon, hunter, coon hunters are a close breed. They, they may be competitive, they but they also will help you if you need something. They will. Yes, sir. Very true statement. Yeah. Well, Dick, I think that's covered just about everything I have. Is there anything else you'd like to speak about or talk about while we got you on here? No, I, uh, I just wish you luck with Timer and a German champions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope we have some luck as well. Uh, yeah, so yeah. For, you know, for our listeners, I'm going to be handling Timer for Dick up at the tournament champions. Uh, Dick had, like I said, he's got two dogs in, and he's only one guy. Uh, well. So he can't handle them both. Uh, well, Bobby's going to handle fire for me, and uh, I was going to handle timer, but uh, they, he's got a world champion squirrel hunt that weekend. They switched his dates on him. Right. And uh, next year, that won't happen. There you, you know? go. But we had to find a handler, so we'll see what we can do. Hey, man, I, I hope we hope we go out there and win it all. Yeah, well, um, I. We, just can try. That's I have all had we can do. a blast, you know, hunting with you the last few weeks, and and I told Nikki that as well. You know, you've taken myself, uh, my girlfriend, our boy, taking us hunting, and you know, we're we're super appreciative of that, Dick. It's it's nice to have somebody who is who wants to spend those nights in the woods, 
uh, with you. We're not always hunting by yourself. and Right. Somebody you can just bounce ideas off of. and Well, you're more than welcome. And fellowship really. with. Anytime you want to do. Yeah. You know, I told you that. Yeah. I mean, you know. Well, how's tonight sound? That sounds good. All right. Well, it's it's a done deal. It's a good thing I already packed my boots. I had a feeling you'd want to go hunting tonight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dick. Well, I appreciate you joining us here on the Deep and Lonely Podcast. Um, look forward to uh, hunting with you here in the next few weeks and making a run at the TOC. And, and I, I just really just appreciate you taking the time to sit down and speak to us today. Okay. Thank you, Bryce. Thanks, buddy.